way or something. <laughs> good, good, good to go. Thanks, Rodney. Gosh, if we ever get through the AV stuff, we'll be looking good. Okay. Um, again, welcome back to uh, Psalm 8. Uh, I plan to be in Psalm 8 for the next month, uh, maybe. Jack's smiling. Uh, actually, it, I think it may take months to just approach the ability to plumb the depths of Psalm 8. There is so much. I mean, this morning, I got up early and I was in these notes and I was thinking, goodness gracious, this is, I don't understand any of this hardly because there's so many connections in the depth of this. And um, so this, is, this should really be fun today. Uh, so I'm not going to redo what we did last week, uh, but I'm going to skip to the verses 3 through 8. But I'm going to start by reading the psalm again, and then we'll pray, and uh, then um, we'll go from there. Um, okay, so this is, if you have your Bibles... Uh, Psalm 8. This really seems loud. Is it? How's it in the back, Stephen? Yeah, but are, is it killing your eardrums or anything? Okay. Okay, so Psalm 8. The Lord's glory and man's dignity. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth who has displayed thy splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes thou hast established strength because of thine adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou dost take thought of him? And the son of man, that thou dost care for him. Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God, and dost crown him with glory and majesty. Thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the path, paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, we just once again humble ourselves before your holy word. And um, we just realize that your presence is with us in each one of us individually and with this group. And um, this, your word is just not only eternal, but the depths of it uh, are amazing. Every time we look, we see new things. And so we thank you for your word. We thank you for all the great gifts you have given us. And for this time that we have, we just commit it to you. And I just pray uh, my words could be your words. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, just from a point of context, you remember that um, last week we, we talked about this. Psalm of David, uh, the subtitle is The Lord's Glory and man's dignity, which is very important. Both those two things uh, are in this psalm. Um, <clears throat> it is a psalm of, uh, it's a really a prayer of praise. And every time I read one of these, I, I wonder, gosh, what is, what is David visualizing? What is he seeing as he records this? 
Um, obviously, the, the greatness and the glory of God, for sure. Um, but and he, and the, fir- the first and the ninth verses are the same. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. So he is seeing God in this, and he has to record it. But you just would love to sit in his place and be able to see what he's seeing. This is as close as we'll get right now. Um, and uh, we did mention the fact that this is a, a nature psalm or psalm of creation. And uh, it also has a lot to do with Adam, the first Adam and the last Adam, which we'll, we'll see. So uh, skipping through the first few verses, I want to jump to uh, starting at verse 3. Uh, so 8.3 basically to 8.8. Uh, 8. And remember, we talked about the different contrasts that are in this psalm. This is uh, the second contrast, which you could see in parts of Revelation as well. The, the vastness of the heavens, which we just saw, versus man, um, and um, which is, again, the Lord's glory here. And when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers... You know, which is that human connection again, the anthropomorphism of, of you know, attributing, you know, human characteristics to God. He, you know, that that you know that he would have, you know, sort of supernatural fingers, if you will, to to do creation. But it's it's relating to human um, work and creation. Um, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, which it would be appointed. Or fixed, um, and um, so compared to the vastness of the heavens, verse four: What is man that thou dost take thought of him, um, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? Now we introduced last time; didn't really uh, develop it as much as I wanted to. Was this duality in the phrase "the son of man"? Um, the, um, and we see it really throughout the Old and New Testament, the Son of Man, which could mean of the lineage of man, the lineage and root of man from the first Adam. And actually, we're going to look at a couple. I forgot this passage last week. I don't know how I skipped over it. Um, the, in Daniel, we're going to look at a, a passage in Daniel. But in Daniel, Gabriel says to Daniel, Son of man. He addresses him as son of man. So it's uh, pretty universal. Um, And then we'll see that there is another son of man, usually with the the son capitalized, which is really talking about uh, Jesus himself. Um, Let's turn to Daniel 7. And again, I don't know how I missed this. Probably distracted last week. Um, But turn to Daniel 7, if you will. This is right in the midst of a lot of uh, prophetic revelation here that's been revealed to Daniel. And um, so there's some, again, amazing things. You want to sit where Daniel sits and see, golly, what is he seeing? So um, let me just read, starting at verse 9. And this, again, is right after he's talked about some of the, the, the uh, prophetic things that are going to occur toward the end times. But then there's this little interlude. 
And the subtitle of this is The Ancient of Days Reigns, meaning God the Father. I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. Then in verse 11, Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn, which is what he talked about previously, the Antichrist, was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. And 12, As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away. But an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. So then, starting in verse 13, there's a little change here. So who is the Ancient of Days? God the Father. God the Father. And you see that clearly in this passage, because now we're going to see God the Son. In verse 13, I kept, this is the title, the subtitle of this is the Son of Man. Again, the term Son of Man presented. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days as was and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And so then Daniel goes on about after this vision, it actually distressed him for days, uh, and the visions in his mind kept alarming him. Again, the magnitude of what he's able to observe here, that God is revealing to him, and he's trying to you know, put in words uh, to, to relate. But again, I like this passage because you see both the God, God the Father and God the Son very clearly. And God the Son being the, the Son of Man, as in uh, the last uh, Adam. And there's, there's a lot more in Daniel that we won't talk about, but he, then he talks about the vision um, interpreted and things like that. But what I wanted to talk about was just this little section on God the Father and the Son of Man. And um, remember, this term, the Son of Man, we related it back to Genesis 1, if you recall, the roots in the first Adam. Uh, in Genesis 1, 27, actually 26 and 27, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over birds, cattle, over all the earth. And God created man in his own, and the emphasis on those words, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, remember, this is before the fall, so this is just a little different than the way we view man today, but it's still, man was created in God's image. And this word image, not just a physical likeness or representation, it's deeper than that. It's like an invisible, supernatural form or representation. So, in the image of God, he created him male and female. Notice, two genders. That's what was created. Sorry, everybody outside the door. Um, 
again. And then God blessed them, and, and earthly dominion was given to man, and it was so. And that word image, we spent a little time on last week, but it's just the word image and likeness in Genesis 1.27. You almost, it's hard to plumb those depths. I mean, image, other words are like, and a lot of it is the corruption of the English language today. We don't, we think of things in the way the colloquial language has gone, but in the... One of the older dictionaries that I use, the image means imitation, picture, uh, and likeness is resemblance, um, like uh, you know a, a parallel, a parallelism, if you will, uh, or a model. And none of these words were satisfying to me. None of them really captured what I wanted to see. So, um, just the the depth and significance of this. Um, <clears throat> last week we started. Um, where the, the idea that now God, man is created in God's image, well, um, is there a reflection back? Would it be possible that you know, God made man in his image, and is there some image of man that reflects back or reflects on God? I pondered that the entire week, and uh, you're going to see it's a real deep conclusion. Our only possible image that reflects back is Jesus himself. That's the only image acceptable. And we'll look at a couple of verses. Um, and actually, the more I thought about it, even this morning, was it's not really a reflection back. It's more like a standing image between God and man. And that's Jesus. It can only be that way. None of the other garbage around here is going to reflect back up. It's the fact that Jesus, especially, I mean, in believers, is, is what God sees anyway. Um, so um, it's not like we talked about last week as some sort of a bi-directional thing. It's this standing image between God and man, which is Jesus. Um, and like Dan, I, I wish he was here. I was going to give him some props, but uh, he brought up Psalm 19.1. And if we have a little time, we'll talk about Psalm 19 a little bit. Um, but the Psalm 19:1, if you remember, says, "The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is de- declaring the work of His hands." Again, another sort of anthropomorphism of God's creative uh, ability. So <clears throat> this uh, image, um, and so, and we see this in both terms the Son of Man. We see this, this heritage of man, and then we see the, the Son of Man in the last image in Jesus. So, um, again, the only thing that possibly could be reflected back uh, from us here would be Jesus himself. Um, it's the only thing worthy, um, which is his uh, transcendent nature. Um, only in Jesus. Let me read a couple verses. So if we go to Colossians, this is a great place to see this. Um, Actually, we're going to read the whole book of Colossians, if that's okay. No, we won't. Um, But there's just so much great stuff here. I'll start at um, Colossians 1.15. And again, developing this... is the image of God. What should we see in these verses that we've read? 
Colossians 1.15, And He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, or heir, really, uh, of all creation. For by Him, all things were created. Back in Genesis 1, you know, us is mentioned. Let us, let us make man in our image. Um, so Jesus was there. Uh, all things, uh, let's see, for by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Uh, and we've, we've developed that before. But what you want to notice here is that what? Does he mean by, you know, thrones, dominions? He, what he means is structure. There's order in the universe, and it's a supernatural as well as a natural order. So he's created that uh, that structure, and so um, the image here, the word image is mentioned, and um, so this is really Jesus is the only way we're going to see God. I mean, that's that's the image. Um, so uh, and it's re- really of his transcendent nature. Yes, ma'am. No, 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 please do. But I've been pondering since we left Daniel. Um, But it says, for um, God the Father says, the ancient of days took a seat. Um, But when it speaks about um, the Son of Man, it says, one like the Son of Man. So it's almost as though. No, one like a a Son of Man, man. right. It's almost as though, in my mind, as I've been pondering, um, that. We're, we were made in the image of God, and Christ is the only one who can um, bear that image of man who clearly reflects who God is. Mm-hmm. So he had to be like a son of man, what Adam should have been or could have been, um, but wasn't, and, and, and is only true Christ, true God himself, to be that man, that perfect image. That we I think that's a good observation. It's, it, this makes it a little more general that Jesus certainly isn't going to reflect what we see in mankind, right. what Daniel saw in mankind. That he was like a son of man, but better. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's the sense of it. No, that's a good catch. Um, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, the only one that could be presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. So... Great verses. I can't believe I missed that last week. How did you, I should have put it in red or highlighted it or something. Here, I missed it. I goofed it. So, um, <clears throat> thanks, Lonell. Where was I? Uh, I mean, my notes are going. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my notes are going all over these pages. I'm glad I'm the only one that gets to read these because. Spoken like a true brother in the Lord. <laughs> hey, why don't you go back to your geology and rocks and, and give us a break here, Porter? Goodness gracious. Um, where's, where's Charlie when this happens? Okay. So, again, where, where was I? Um, I did mention, I think I mentioned Ecclesiastes 3.11, uh, that God has set eternity in man's heart. Well, that's something. You know, that's again this sort of this standing image, you know, of mankind and the, the perfect man and God, uh, the eternal one. Um, 
let me just hit, before we leave the New Testament here, let me just uh, read um, 2 Thess 1.7. Second Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.7, again, we, we keep kind of edging into the end times here, uh, but, um, so I'll start at 6, for after all, it is only just for God to repay, repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So that's a little picture, a different picture of the Son of Man coming back in his glory uh, when he will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Um, so amazing verse. So how can I get back to this? Um, oh, I know. Uh, the, the, the image, we're talking about image and what's this standing image between God and man. Well, another picture of this is the transfiguration. So in Matthew 17, if you would turn there, this is also a passage we can ponder for a long time. Um, This is Matthew 17. I'll just start at uh, verse 1, if you have that. And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, which is, again, kind of a human way of, of interpreting this. Um, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. There can be only one bridge to this image gap between God and man, and that's Jesus. And this is just a, a powerful way to look at that. And um, this transfiguration where it's like Jesus is in an intermediate state where he, he shines like, uh, you know, the, the pre-incarnate, you know, version of himself back in uh, Ezekiel 1, where he, you know, glows with this brightness. And here we see that brightness again in the transfiguration. But again, transfiguration, I mean, that, that's a loaded word. How could we really, I want to know the equation, <laughs> but, but there isn't one. And so it's, it's like he's this, in this in-between state for a short period of time where you see his glory, which is amazing. And, and so um, he was transfigured before, him, before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light, because all this light is trying to shine through. And so it's just brightness. And, 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 um, and Moses and Elijah, and we've, we've talked about this, Porter and I have talked about this, well, how would they know it's Moses and Elijah? They know. God told them. 
that's Moses and Elijah. How did they know? God told them. I mean, how would you know otherwise? They didn't really know them in, in human form beforehand. So it was Moses and Elijah. And why Moses and Elijah? Good question, but, I mean, you, you couldn't pick two better guys. I mean, not that we're in the you know, position of picking anything, but Moses, you know, began all this, you know, with, with the book of Moses and, and, and the word and the law. And um, Elijah, you know, what, didn't die. He went, he was, he was taken up, you know. And so um, it's interesting that th these two are chosen for this. But again, what's the point of this that I'm trying to make? It's that this is the image of Jesus, you know, before his resurrected self, which again is another picture of this, and it just shows this image is bigger than just the word image. And it's this transcendent, supernatural image that, we, that we're after. Um, okay. And just as far as his, the, the, um, his nature as a ruler, um, Micah 5.2, which we're pretty familiar with, especially around Christmas time, from Bethlehem, one will go forth from me, um, God the Father, to be ruler in Israel. And his uh, goings forth uh, are from eternity. So this is, this is a lot bigger than any kind of human terms or human uh, description. So, what's the point of all this? Well, there is this image, you know, man is created in God's image, but after the fall, that was pretty corrupted in most man, but then Jesus is the perfect image reflecting God, and uh, that's the image that we're interested in, and we see it in the transfiguration, but, but, you know, what I struggled with this week was what, you know, if God created man in his image, what image is going back, it can only possibly be Jesus. That's it. And he's that standing image, you know, in the, in like the transfiguration, he's in both states, both supernatural and natural. And um, the only thing that could possibly go back to God, the creator, would be Jesus, you know, that perfect uh, image. Well, we, last time, Tom, we talked about the fact that, you know, God is creating man in his image. Is there anything going back from man? Is this sort of bi-directional? I don't think it's bi-directional. I think it's that Jesus is that standing image between God and man. And I don't think it's the two-way street that we sort of alluded to last time. I was trying, trying to come to grips with it. What does this really mean? And I think it's now that just um, you, you can't simplify it to the point of a, a two-way street kind of thing. Does that, does that make sense? You're saying he's the only mediator. Of... Well, which we knew, because he's the only mediator between God and man, for sure. Yeah. But to try to talk about the, the image of God in man, there's only one image that we can, you know, uh, relate to, and that's Jesus. Because man's image has been grossly corrupted, has nothing to do with God, for the most part, uh, except for those who are in Jesus, who bear that image. And actually, when God looks at us, what does he see? Yeah, he sees the Lord Jesus. So, Jim, there are a couple of things. Genesis 
interesting thing about those two words is that image is a male gender word, and likeness is a feminine gender word. And Jesus later talks about that whole concept that of being born in the image of God and relates it to marriage. And the reason that we are not to be divorced together, right? And I think it really points to this relationship that we have with God where we are intended to be in a relationship with God. And we broke that relationship through sin. That's what Adam had at the beginning. Oh gosh. That goes back to who Christ is, who we are, and how we can only be in that, you know, reconciled to God through Christ, the perfect man that wasn't born in the image of Adam. You know? It's amazing you bring up that those two words are the same words, image and likeness, that we talked about here. Yeah. Well, in the in the picture, is like when Jesus is the bridegroom. He talks about like that at the end of Matthew, the bridegroom. There's that same picture. So, um, okay. Um, sometimes I write down these cross references. I have no clue why did I write that one down. Um, <laughs> So we're going to examine this. But it's in Colossians, so I'm always good to go there. <laughs> so um, in Colossians 3, I hope this really applies. Or, uh, Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 4. Let me just read that uh, if you've gotten there. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Um, If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That's where he is now. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's what we just mentioned, that when God looks at us, who does he see? Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So this is sort of just reemphasizing some of the things, and plus this is great application. You know, we're getting to the point where we need to think about application here. Um, In Acts 1, you just go back a little ways here to Acts 1. Let's see, Acts 1, 9 through 11. Oh, this is, again, sort of, I was trying to reinforce what we saw in the transfiguration, and then the ascension is a a great place to look. 
in, starting in Acts 1.9, and after he had said these things, which he's talking about, it's not for you to know the times and the epochs of the end time, you know, um, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So after that, the, the, you know, um, Luke records this part on the ascension. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in dazzling white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him um, go into heaven. So, again, uh, that the, the Lord Jesus is the bridge here. He's that image in the middle of, between God and man. So, again, this, I, I wish this were more exhaustive, but this is just as far as we can go, as far as building a picture of this. Um, you know, uh, I mean, God is manifest in our DNA. We're made in the image of God. But here, because of the fall, we're imperfect, and Jesus needs to make that perfect. So God makes man in his image, and man gets to God through Jesus. And so that image of Jesus in the middle. So, I mean, Jesus, and this was my conclusion, and this is really going to be, you know, uh, earth-moving. Jesus is the only reflection of man possible back to God as the perfect Son of Man and Son of God. Um, so, again, in Colossians 2.9, we talked about the, all the fullness of God is in Jesus. So, um, pretty amazing. Um, I probably forgot some other passages while we're done early. Any any questions on that? Yes, Rita. So when you say image, when somebody says an image, I think physical. But this is more spiritual image than physical. It really touches both worlds because you can see the image. I mean, you saw the transfiguration. Well, they saw the transfiguration, but it's mo it's really supernaturally based. But then I think. When they You can't isolate it you to one or the other. Oh, you, they did. They did because it was manifested that way, because God allowed it to be manifested to them. Um, again, this is, this is not shallow stuff. Um, and so uh, it, it, we can't just come up with nice little, some nice little closed form explanation for this. It's because we're, it's the supernatural God in Jesus that we're seeing here. Um, you, you still look... Well, yeah, I'm trying to wrap my head around it's both. Mm -hmm. Yes, that, that would be the best way to say it, I think. Um, but when, I, when you say image, that's not what I... No, think no, I, again, in the colloquial of English language, right. um, uh, it's like awesome how much that's thrown around. Really, there's only one item that's awesome. That's God himself. Um, but everything is these days. So, I mean, it's just the, the way things become sort of passe with there is so much usage 
that they lose sort of their magnitude in a way. Um, where are we? Oh. They really are. Uh, however, if you look at the Hebrew words themselves and the difference in the Hebrew words, there is a slight difference between image and likeness in the Hebrew. Image is more of a, um, uh, a logical representation, and likeness is more of a concrete. Uh, it could be. Concrete. I mean, when you look at the... And it seems to correlate to the, to the masculine and the feminine, where image... Is and, and that's when they're reversed in Genesis 5 3 when it talks about the son of Adam, you know, his, his son Seth. Uh, it, 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 it's almost like the emphasis is more on the concrete. And, and I kind of see in that um, the fact that we have a dual nature, right? We have a spiritual and a physical, right? And it seems to me to correlate to that where the, the, in, in spirit we bear the image of God. In the concrete implementation, we're flawed humanity, we're flesh and sin. You know, I don't know if that helps, but to me, there's. there's well, I think they both have a connection to the supernatural. Yeah. I don't think one is purely natural. I mean, the word for um, image is selem, T S E L E M, and it means resemblance, a rese- representative figure, a cutout which is Brown Driver Briggs said that. I thought that was interesting. A cutout, which is probably pretty close. And, um, and that's, that's it. I mean, um, so it's, there's some depth here that it's, uh, we have to keep plumbing, I think. Um, any other questions or comments? Well, I just wanted to bring that to the point, and Satan realizes that as the perfect image of God. His attack not only is on us physically, corrupting our DNA as much as possible, but spiritually also as well. So that intense jealousy and hatred that Satan had for God and he knew Jesus was there in the beginning as well is why it's so hard to assault on us daily that we always have to be reminded to take up daily the cross. Yeah. Try to work for being the image of Yeah, I mean, I think that's the application. Um, I mean, I was really struggling with how do you apply from this, I mean, there's a billion things, but Hebrews uh, 4.14 came to mind. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, you know, in Jesus, our Savior, knowing that he's this, in the midst of God and man, this, he fills this gap uh, supernaturally. Uh, the only reflection of man possible back to God is Jesus, so... Um, and again, Colossians 2.9, in all the fullness, he, he dwells in him. All the fullness of God dwells in him. Any other questions or comments? Well, we don't have time to... Yes, go ahead, Tom. I got, I got stuck on your uh, Daniel 7 reading where um, you know, we, we know that the Lord is a consuming fire. Was ablaze with flame, 
And then later on, in, in the same chapter, when dealing with the beast, he was slain and his body was destroyed with burning fire. He destroys the, the world in the end with a fervent heat. Uh, and he will Second Peter. A, a consuming fire just completely destroys everything. Um, and yet, Jesus, uh, the Son of Man, verse 13, um, can stand before him. And we can. But everything else is burned up, right? Well, then we, we have a risen body, too, at some point, which is hopefully better looking than this one. But, um, you, you know, this whole, we t in the creation study, we talk a lot about fire and being related to God. There's some great verses that you kind of pointed to. In, in uh, Exodus 19, 18, Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And then listen to this. This is Exodus 24, where he took some of the elders up to the mountain. And um, then Moses went up. This is 24, 9. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. Wow. And under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they beheld God, and they ate and drank. And look at a little bit farther down in verse 17. And to the, to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Again, we talked about that in... in, in um, Ezekiel 1, I think, and some other places, you know, um, Jesus returns in flaming fire. Um, but it's just amazing um, that um, I don't understand it all. But like Charlie says, you know, I don't completely understand this, but it's in God's Word, so it's important. And um, so we just uh, keep reading and, and reflecting on these things. Uh, and they beheld God, and to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance, and this is about four times removed, okay? You can't get many more times removed than this. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory, not the actual, but the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. So you can't even get to the ultimately complete description, um, but... This is this is what we have at face value. So, uh, that's in Exodus twenty-four, um, actually starting about nine down to seventeen at least. Sure. Any other questions or comments? Well, I think, I think that's the example for us. I mean, humility. 
is, you know, the best path in any, any you know, uh, fork in the road, you know, humility is the key. So anything else? Tom, would you close us?